is here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. You're about to learn why it does matter what happens in Ukraine, because Russia is now invading. Even the way the media, some of our friendlies are reporting, is not proper. Russia has created the pretext and has begun the invasion of eastern Ukraine. It has, in fact, mobilized and is moving um, its uh, tanks and armored personnel carriers into eastern Ukraine under the pretext that uh, there's two provinces there uh, that Russia recognizes as independent uh, basically, given the uh, fact that there's a large Russian population and many of the people speak Russian and they have removed a lot of those Russians now and are into Russia. It's right on the border. And those of you who do know history understand, actually, this is what Hitler did. This is how he started with the Sudetenland, that there were ethnic Germans and they were being abused and he and he went in there to protect them. It was uh, a matter of ethnicity and. Uh, of course, that was never his uh, his purpose, any more than it's Vladimir Putin's purpose. Putin has created the unrest in these two provinces. He has funded the militia, funded them in these two provinces. Um, and he has funded the guerrilla warfare in these two provinces. Uh, and so he creates the, the basis for his own actions. Now, I do notice some of our friends at Fox are, in fact, picking up on some of the things I've mentioned, and that's very important, uh, including 1994, when the Ukraine was forced by the United States, Britain, and Russia in exchange for security protections and recognition to give up its nuclear weapons. And if you've been listening to this program over the last several months, this is a key point I've been making about the Bucharest Memorandum, and that if Ukraine had any of those nuclear warheads still, that this wouldn't be happening. That there'd be a lesson on the nuclear freeze movement and so forth, and other appeasements. You've had people, friend and foe alike, on radio and TV, uh, the neo-appeasers and the flat-out appeasers telling you that uh, really uh, it's our fault, that we don't want another war, and we don't want to send any troops in. Nobody said we should send troops into Ukraine. Can anybody name a single serious politician who has said so? I can't think of one. But I have a different question. What if Putin begins to roll through Ukraine and he decides to enter the Balkans? Is that still none of our business? What are we going to do then? What are we going to do then? How about the western border of Ukraine? How about Bosnia and Serbia, let alone Eastern Europe? We're going to send in American troops then? This is why you don't allow a situation to reach this level. Now, Mark, what could we have done? We could have loaded up Ukraine, not just with defensive weaponry, but offensive weaponry. People are talking about the price that Russia will have to pay. Well, of course it'll pay a price, but it won't pay as big of a price as it should have paid to dissuade it from doing what it's 
begun to do. And you think it matters what's going on with Ukraine? As Xi in communist China, if he thinks it matters, he's got both of his eyeballs glued to this situation. Ask the Islamo-Nazi regime in Tehran if they think it's important what happens in Ukraine. They have their eyeballs glued to this situation too. Ask North Korea, rocket man, what he thinks. The world is a gravely dangerous place, much more gravely dangerous than it was before Joe Biden became president of the United States. Afghanistan was the big issue. When they saw the withdrawal, the surrender in Afghanistan, we all knew it. But it led up to Afghanistan. When he kowtowed to Russia on two other fronts, they wanted to get out of a nuclear arms deal and he let them get out of it. And then, of course, as you know, he opened that pipeline, not just to Germany, but all of Europe is now dependent on fuel from Russia. Now, how insane was that? So committed is Joe Biden to destroying the American fossil fuel industry that he shuts off our pipes and turns on theirs. It's really unbelievable. The time to move U.S. troops was to move them months ago. Not into Ukraine, but yes, into NATO nations. Into NATO nations at a bigger number in order to ensure that Putin won't move any further than he he might and drag us into a world war. See, the people... The phony colonels that are cherry-picked and the other people who go on radio and TV and go on and on about Russia's sphere of influence and everything. You heard it today from Putin. You heard it today from Putin, right, Mr. Producer? Right, Mr. Kosker? What did he say? Ukraine effectively belongs to Russia. Did he not say that? Did he not say that, that the leaders of Russia... The Soviet Union let down the Russian people because they let all these countries go? Did he not effectively say that? Yes, he did. Now, we've been talking about this. You don't have to be a mind reader. You don't have to be Nostradamus that knows what goes through a KGB guy's head. And when he sees the fecklessness and weakness of not just the president, the secretary of state, secretary they're running all over the place. They go on American media. The Secretary of State, the National Security, and they talk to us. We don't, we're not the ones invading. But as I said three weeks ago on Life, Liberty, and Levin, and as I've said time and again on Levin TV, this administration has not prepared the American people for this, other than to say we expect them to invade this day, that day, another time, and so forth and so on. But then there are the, the people, the third parties, Surrogates from one ideology or another. Who talk about. Who talk about, well, they said we would invade Wednesday. Look how they were wrong. What? Who cares if it's Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, if it's 12 o'clock, 3 o'clock? What the, what's the difference? Doesn't prove anything. Stop defending Putin. Stop defending Russia. What kind of minds are these? What kind of perversion is this? Well, focus on China. They want world domination. They're the real enemy. Oh, okay. 
So only focus on China. What do you think China's focusing on? Ukraine, they're watching now, because depending on what happens there, ladies and gentlemen, I have a little bit of news for you. It's not news on this program, actually. They're going to invade Taiwan. And Israel was just told by the Biden administration, basically, butt out. We're cutting a deal with the Iranians. Don't screw up like you did last time and side against the Obama-Biden administration. You folks need to recall the people who are negotiating this deal with the Iranians were involved in negotiating the first deal with the Iranians. Same administration just flipped the president. Obama, now Biden. And our ambassador to Israel just announced he'd be happy to meet with settlers, but not in Judea and Samaria. Not in the indigenous homes of the Jewish people. There he won't meet with them. Sending another message to Hamas, to Hezbollah, and to Iran. Messages being sent all wrong all over the world. All over the world. So yes, it does matter this invasion of Ukraine. And yes, it could spread to other countries. And as we've talked about, you and me, for for years here, really, for years here, really, our enemies were rooting for Biden. Enemies, foreign and domestic. They got who they wanted. The press got who they wanted. The academicians got who they wanted. The Washington establishment and bureaucrats got who they wanted. The rhinos and never-Trumpers got who they wanted. Xi, Putin, Un, and the rest got who they wanted. By hook or by crook, they got their man. The American media. Really quite disgusting. So Putin signs two decrees hours ago recognizing these quote-unquote breakaway territories in eastern Ukraine. If Ukraine dares to defend its people and dares to defend its territory, that will be the pretext Putin uses to attack Kiev, or as they call it now, Kiev. This is a big city, ladies and gentlemen, with millions of people. This is not a joke. And they are targeting their bombers, their fighter jets, their missiles, There are 500 battle tanks, ultimately, on Kiev. I'll call it Kiev. I used to call it Kiev, and I'll continue to call it Kiev. We actually have a movement in this country now, coming out of our universities, no surprise there, uh, trying to reverse a Trump administration policy that was aimed at targeting and has been targeting espionage against our technology and our private sector by the communist Chinese regime. And the Biden administration is now considering reversing course as a way to appease China and try and convince China to stop cheering on Russia. Now, think about this. China views us as the enemy. Russia views us as the enemy. Iran views us as the enemy. North Korea views us as the enemy. But we don't even talk in those terms. We don't view them as, hey, if you're opposed to Russia, that must mean you like China, or you can't, you can't focus on two potential enemies or adversaries at the same time, and 
Look at Iran. You know, they're going to get the nuke deal. So we got to we got to cut a deal with them. They're not going to follow anything. They never have any more than the communist Chinese did with Hong Kong, any more than the Russians did with the nuke deal involving Ukraine. I mean, what is this? Any more than the North Koreans did as we continue to allow them to build and build and build. We removed our nuclear missiles from South Korea on the promise that North Korea wouldn't build nukes. Both parties. And North Korea has built nuclear missiles and South Korea has no nukes. We pressured the Ukrainians into giving up their nukes after the fall of Ukraine during the Clinton administration. I've talked about this. They gave up their nukes. Now look what's happening to Ukraine. So Ukraine doesn't have nukes. South Korea doesn't have nukes. North Korea does have nukes. A deal was cut with the Iranians that literally would help them fund terrorism the growth of conventional weapons excluded MIRVs, that is, uh, I should say, uh, intercontinental ballistic missiles, made it impossible to oversee. Bob Corker writes the law that makes it possible that Obama to get this through the Senate without a treaty. Joined by Ben Sass and others, by the way, that's when I had it with Sass when he called me and started lobbing me on behalf of Bob Corker. What a puke. And then he pretends he's the principal one out there. But in any event... That's where we are. So now we're to trust them. Trust us. People say America first. Okay, let's do it. Appeasement. Sellout. That's not America first. That's America last. Pretending Russia invading Ukraine is of no consequence to the United States like J.D. Vance and others do is absurd. It's nuts. The rest of the world looks at this, particularly our enemies and our allies. Shakes up the whole Ouija board. And if Russia thinks they have a head of steam and nobody's going to stop them, that's when you have to worry about a world war. Ukraine in and of itself, no. But beyond, yes. It's really quite bizarre. To hear how people respond to this. And they bring in these these bizarre military men. You know, there's millions of people in this country who served in the military. But for some reason, they find the same three or four who are out of their minds. And of course, this will affect you on a different note, financially and economically. Because the price of fuel is going to go way up. Your pensions are going to be clearly affected by a drop in the stock market. I go on and on and on. The weakening of the dollar... Of course it's going to affect you. And it'll give Biden the opportunity to blame the Russians and the pandemic rather than the two brain cells he tries to rub together three times a day. No question about that. Unbelievable. Absolutely unbelievable. Don't worry, I'm going to get the Trudeau. Trudeau is a Marxist fascist pig. It's what he is. And any police officers who comply with this, particularly at the senior level like this Ottawa police chief that says even if things have settled and they have, we're going to track down people, we're going to close their bank accounts. They need to wear brown shirts and shiny polished black boots. Because when they talk like this and act like this, that's what they remind me of. 
And speaking of, Putin has used essentially the argument that Hitler did to go into the Sudetenland. Well, what's the big deal? I mean, there's a lot of Germans there after all. Unbelievable. No, no, no. I guess I'm wrong. It's the neocons did it. The neocons, whatever that means. I'll be right back. This is where liberalism ends and liberty begins. The Mark Levin Show at 877-381-3811. Hello, everybody. Hello. This is one reason you've got to build the United States military up under all and any circumstances. This is one reason you do not take away forward bases. This is one reason you do not withdraw from NATO. Many of you have a father or a grandfather. Some, although a rare number, have a mother or a grandmother who fought in World War II and who fought in Europe. Some of whom didn't return. Some of whom were terrible casualties. Some of whom did return. We honor them. We finally build a monument to them. There's not many left. Those in my family who fought World War II, they're gone. Including my grandfather and my great-uncle, among others. They're gone. What do you think they would say? The men and women who actually spilled blood in Europe during World War II. What do you think they would say? to the isolationists in our own country, to the appeasers in our own country. Don't worry, just give up all the land to the Russians. What's the big deal? We don't have a foothold in Europe to protect us. Do you know how many men died and suffered to claw our way into Europe in order to defeat Germany? And first to defeat Italy? We have allies over there. People point to Afghanistan as FI. We left a lot of our friends and 9,000 American citizens there. This is still sickening. It still makes you want to throw up. Take Afghanistan and multiply it by tens of thousands. Leading up to World War II, we had a similar mentality. We had the isolationists. We had the appeasers. In fact, they went as far to say, what does Europe have to do with us? Forget about Ukraine. What does Europe have to do with us? The hell do we care what happens to Britain and France and all the rest of it? So far away, can't affect us. That's when Roosevelt came up with Lend-Lease because Churchill was begging him for resources and support. So he comes up with this illegal Lend-Lease, which is really a way to try and get them some arms. Then Churchill's begging the United States, please come in in the war on our side. You're going to be in this war at some point. Churchill was a genius, obviously. And geniuses aren't always right. They're quite imperfect, but he was a genius. And he said, you're going to get in on this. You're going to have no choice. They're not going to leave the great United States alone, you know. And, of course, they didn't. So we wait for these countries to build up these massive military machines while we undermine ours with critical race theory and other BS. 
sex operations and who the hell knows what with the fools and the phonies and the frauds who insinuate themselves in every aspect of our government, our society, and impose their will on the rest of us. But you heard Putin today. Is there any doubt in anybody's head that from his perspective, Ukraine is just one of many? One of many. And we all knew this, that he was furious with what happened to the Soviet Union. Which is why, from his perspective, he stepped into the breach in order to take over the country from what he thought were these buffoons. And he blackmailed them. And he promised not to prosecute them. He promised to keep them wealthy, which was fine by them. And he took the country over. He dislodged any major politician who was a challenge. He dislodged major politicians who were running various cities, put in his own puppets. He sent to prison these huge industrialists who picked up on our capitalist system, sent them to prison where some of them still languish and had others executed. He basically took over the media. Again, over two dozen journalists were killed, suspiciously, of course. And he would track down his most outspoken opponents, whether they were in London or anywhere else, and he'd have them poisoned, as you well know. And we have people in this country who are Putin files, Russo files. Look, most of my ancestry is Russian. What does that have to do with anything? Nothing. They had to get the hell out of there. They wouldn't have survived. Like most of our ancestors, who could do so voluntarily, had to get the hell out of the countries they're from, even though we romanticize them. Most of them wouldn't be here. I'm not talking about slaves who were captured and brought here. I'm talking about people who voluntarily came here. And most of us, whether we came here voluntarily or not, would, want to, would not want to go back to the same circumstances, I can't imagine. But that's beside the point. You know, it's just an amazing thing to watch and to listen to the George McGovern left and the isolationist appeasement right. Remember, we're somewhere in the middle. We're constitutionalists. We're constitutional conservatives. We don't fit neatly on this right-left thing because we're not right-left. That's the ideologues. We're not ideologues. We're prudential. We do believe in principles and philosophy, but we're not ideologues. It's quite different. You can look it up. You'll know what I'm talking about. So I will be keeping both eyes, one good one, one sort of good one, on what's going on. You'll be getting my perspective, which is not the perspective of many now in the media and in the Republican Party, but it is my perspective. Perspective of one who believes in this country, who believes in the superiority of this country, who believes our United States military must be supported every step of the way, who believes that this can't get out of control, Russia, China, and the others, and that putting your head in the dirt and being an ostrich ain't going to fix a damn thing when the enemy's on the move. And as I've said to you many times, 
They're not building hypersonic weapons for Ukraine or Taiwan or South Korea or even the Gulf states. They're building them for us to elude our defense systems, to take out our grid. They are poised with offensive military capacity to defeat us. The Chinese economy, 30 years ago, was considered a joke. It's about 7 to 80% of the size now of the American economy. Much of it's stolen right out of our industries. If we only had a real press in this country, if we only had a real college and university system in this country with real professors rather than these Marxists and other reprobates. We really had a serious, strong two-party system with both parties outdueling one another for which party can best advance the cause of liberty and constitutionalism and capitalism. Instead, we have one party that has as its mission to destroy them and the other that has as its mission self-survival of the people who run it. Pretty much. Pretty much. We're soon going to turn to Canada. And oh, Canada. You're going to hear the words of a Justin Trudeau, a Christia Freeland, the deputy. You're going to hear Steve Bell, the Iowa police chief. You're going to hear people like this. You're going to hear Jim Watson, the Ottawa mayor, who wants to keep and sell the confiscated trucks and the equipment that they took from these truckers. And if this doesn't remind you of the 1930s, I'm quite serious. I don't know what does. People in jail for organizing, people in jail for speech. I hear one of my colleagues say, how do I know? Because people tell me. Well, look at all the inconvenience these people have caused. And they've created inconvenience even for people who manufacture automobiles and put them at the same people who defended the bureaucrats in our own government for shutting down one industry after another, putting millions of people out of work, millions, shuttering hundreds of thousands of business, especially small businesses, shutting down religious institutions, shutting down gun shops, wide open abortion clinics, who abused and politicized the, the, uh, the virus to destroy our economy and to spend trillions of dollars instead of money that hadn't even been earned yet, turning our system upside down. They had no problem with that, but the truckers are inconveniencing people, you see. So they're taking their finances. They've nationalized their accounts. They're tracking them. It's like a social credit system in communist China being applied in Canada. But in real time, in ways that even communist China doesn't apply it. Communist China's learning from Canada. Russia's learning from Canada. Justin Trudeau. What a punk. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. In the midst of all this, 
People ask, not that most of you care, but what the hell. I have now formally shifted my residence to the uh, state of Florida from Virginia. Now, I'm going to be going back and forth, we are, from uh, Florida to Virginia. I'm not giving up my Virginia home. But I'll be spending more days in the year in Florida than in Virginia. I wanted to make sure I was in Virginia to vote the last time around. We have a Republican government in uh, Virginia now, of which I am very proud. They're actually doing very solid things. And, of course, you know the situation in Florida with DeSantis, who's really, to me, the number one governor in the country. Not to offend anybody, but there you go. Giving me my opinion. But, um, you know, I'm I'm tired of these battles. You know, my view is, I don't mind paying taxes. God knows I pay a tremendous amount of tax. Tremendous. But I'm not going to pay the subsidized Democrat rule over me. The degradation of my liberties. I'm just not going to do it. And we have a very remarkable system in this country. We're very lucky for now. And I say for now because there's efforts to change it. And that is, this 50-state thing is very important, which is why the Democrats are at war with it. Um, and so that's that. A lot, a lot is going to be changing or not <clears throat> in the course of the next 12 months, folks, with my various media platforms. And um, I'm very positive in that respect, about how things are going and how they will go. But you never know. But what I do know is that you and I have a special relationship, whether it's over orange juice cans or digital TV or cable TV or books or whatever it is. You and I, our relationship will last forever. Because Rush was right. We're here for the audience. Everything else is the bureaucracy in between. And that's so true. It's so very true. You look at the uh, situation in Canada now. And I told you, really the first to tell you that it, it is now officially a totalitarian regime. People have given it other names. They can give whatever name they want. Canada is now a totalitarian regime. And it makes me sick to my stomach to watch what's happening to those truckers. And what's going to continue to happen to those truckers. This is stuff of the Stalinist mentality. It's like the January 6th committee, which is really focused on Trump and not what happened. You can see that kind of Stalinist mentality flowing into our country. It's flowing into the the likes of a Kingsinger and a Cheney and that commission, so-called, or committee. You notice, you haven't seen Larry Hogan, the Republican governor of Maryland who wants to be president of the United States. He's not going to be president of the, uh, of the, of, of the, of anything. He's not going to be president of anything. He's a pathetic joke. Spent his entire career trying to figure out how to 
accommodate the Democrats in an overwhelmingly Democrat state. We don't need that. As he promotes his own personality and politics. He's not spoken out one word about people who've been offended, excuse me, who've been mistreated by by the prosecutors in Washington, D.C., violating their due process rights. Not a word. Nothing. So we have these elements in the Republican Party, too. Clearly the Democrat Party being the Marxist Party that it is. But we have these elements within the, Demo- in the, within the Republican Party, too. People who embrace the American Marxist movement on the fringes. In and of it themselves, they're not part of it, but they give it aid and comfort. They breathe life into it. I mean, when you ask McConnell what he would do if he takes over the Senate and he says, you know, I want to meet the other side halfway and figure out what kind of centrist bipartisan decisions we can make. They look at him the way Putin looks at Biden. There's a sucker. We're going to roll this guy. Really quite chilling, if you think about it. Well, he spends an enormous amount of money, uh, dark money, trying to defeat conservatives in Republican primaries, by the way. Beginning at the top of the next hour, hour two, we're going to focus in like a laser again on Canada. We are heard throughout Canada. Uh, We have individuals in the United States who are blaming people like me, and me in particular, for what's going on in Canada. I don't know what's wrong with these clowns. Like they're listening to Mark Levin in Ottawa. Uh, No, I hope they are, but that's not what's going on. They try to personalize this like Alinsky. No, no, no. This is a bottom-up grassroots movement. I'll be right back. As I say, most days I don't know what's going on in talk radio or TV land because I'm doing my own thing. But there was a piece sent to me about two days ago, and I wanted to check it out, make sure it was accurate, and it was. By a gentleman by the name of Daniel Dickin, contributor, community activist, author, conservative... December 12, 2014, published in something called the Prince Arthur Herald. I guess it's Canadian. And uh, the article existed in part the other day on the Huffington uh, Huffington Post Canada. And that closed in 2021, by the way. Oh, too bad. Anyway, uh, so this was written. This was written six... No, this was written seven years ago. Seven years ago. Ready? Why Canada will become a dictatorship under Trudeau. Seven years ago. The leader of that party does what he wants, when he wants, and no one dares question him. Would a Prime Minister Trudeau arbitrarily whip the vote and outlaw certain moral questions? Could Prime Minister Trudeau be trusted to make decisions for the good of the country, not just for his personal self-worth? Would Trudeau call the police to enforce his vision? Let's hope we never have the opportunity to ask those questions. Becoming clear as the days of Trudeau liberals wear on. If elected Prime Minister Justin Trudeau would turn Canada into a dictatorship. Of course, I'm sure at the time this gentleman was dismissed as a white supremacist kook. He says this is the man who admitted he admires China's basic dictatorship. 
It wasn't just a sarcastic comment. He seriously said that he admires the dictatorship because they can get things done quickly. And I would add, much like Thomas Friedman and most of the left. And it's becoming clear that Trudeau not only admires the dictatorship, he runs the Liberal Party like that, too. How else can one explain the police-enforced acclamation of Andrew Leslie as the Liberal candidate for Orleans? Even with hundreds of Liberals attending the meeting to show their support for another candidate and former Trudeau leadership rival, it was clear from the beginning that Leslie was Trudeau's hand-picked favorite and certainly wouldn't be stopped by pesky processes like democracy. Just the imagery of Trudeau's chosen candidate being selected with police intervention is scary. It shows that Trudeau doesn't just admire China's dictatorship, he would practice one if he had the chance. The nomination in Orleans is only the latest rigged open nomination, quote-unquote. Despite Trudeau's promises to actually, you know, practice democracy, at least half a dozen liberal nominations have been rigged or tampered with through the direct intervention of Trudeau's office. Mysteriously disqualifying candidates, changing nomination dates, paperwork going missing, using dirty backroom politics, all to ensure the leader's candidate is chosen at any cost. But those are only liberal candidates. Surely Trudeau would loosen his grip on his caucus colleagues once they've been elected, wouldn't he? Unfortunately, no. The liberal caucus randomly learned one morning early last year that their leader had come up with a new dictate that all liberals would be expected, now required, to vote pro-choice. Period. When Trudeau's pathetic attempted defense that they were the party of the charter, obviously missing those small sections about freedom of conscience and religion, agitated more than a few liberal MPs, he attempted to invent some weird grandfathering rule. But then he abandoned that too. The result is that liberal MPs who dare question that dictate are being punished. Those who dare disagree have already been punished, resigned, or indicated they won't seek another term in office, at least not under the iron fist of Justin Trudeau. Liberals who were unilaterally expected by Trudeau without the slightest consultation with the Senate leadership to comply. The Liberal Party under Justin Trudeau has become a dictatorship. The leader of that party does what he wants, when he wants. Now that we know that Trudeau runs his party like a dictatorship, we must ask ourselves, is there any indication he wouldn't do the same as the leader of Canada? Would a Prime Minister Trudeau arbitrarily whip the vote and outlaw certain moral questions? And it goes on. Let's hope we never have the opportunity to ask those questions. Well, here's the answer. Cut one, Mr. Producer. Justin Trudeau at a press conference today. Go. As I said, the Emergencies Act is not something to undertake lightly. And it's something that needs to be momentary, temporary, and proportional. That's why every single day I'm receiving briefings and we are reflecting on how much longer the Emergencies Act needs to be in place. We don't want to keep it in place a single day longer than necessary. But even though uh, the blockades are lifted uh, across border uh, openings right now, uh, even though uh, things seem to be resolving very well in Ottawa, 
this state of emergency is not over. Uh, there continues to be real concerns uh, about the coming days, uh, but we will continue to evaluate every single day uh, whether or not uh, it is uh, time and we are able to lift this state of emergency. The soft voice with the iron fist. State of emergency. Laws put in place after Al-Qaeda attacked the United States. Now used against truckers, their families, their bank accounts, their dogs. The deputy prime minister to Canada, obviously a sycophant to Trudeau, Christia Freeland, cut to go. The RCMP has given to the RCMP the financial- is this Canadian-run financial s- centralized institution. So she says they given to the financial institutions names of leaders and organizations of the protest. Go ahead. Institutions, names of leaders and organizers of the protests, and of people whose trucks were part of occupations and blockades. That is the only information, according to the RCMP, that the RCMP has given to financial institutions. Look, we've only given names, serial numbers, uh, you know, license plates, bank account numbers, all the rest. That's all. What's the problem? Go ahead. I think it's also really important for everyone to be clear, and this speaks to the getting our facts straight point, that these measures applied only as of the 15th of February. That is when financial support of these illegal blockades and occupations began to be sanctioned. Uh, And then finally, let me say... uh, By the way, that makes it better for people who have their life savings in their bank accounts and have to pay a mortgage or have to pay a a monthly fee for their automobiles or whatever. Don't worry, we've, we've only frozen them since February 15th. Go ahead. For anyone who is concerned that their accounts may have been frozen because of their participation in these illegal blockades and occupation. Notice how they say illegal blockades and occupation. People who were involved in the protests. That's just what the prime the protests. They are going to be affected too. Go ahead. To get your account unfrozen is to stop being part of the blockade and occupation. Wait a minute. minute, Trudeau just said even though the blockades are lifted. You see how this stuff turns so crazy so fast, folks? Go ahead. These measures were put in place to disrupt illegal activity in Canada. You know, when Martin Luther King conducted march after march after march in one segregated city and state after another, he was not technically but literally violating state law. When Rosa Parks refused to move from the back of the bus, she was literally violating local law. Literally violating local law. 
when some of your parents decide that your children shouldn't wear masks when they go in the school because the science doesn't justify it, you could literally be violating a school board regulation. And you see how trigger-happy the Biden administration was to yank in the Department of Justice in that ruse, Civil Rights Division, Criminal Division, FBI, U.S. Attorney's Office, National Security Unit, and the Domestic Terrorist Hotline. Imagine. All those white supremacist framers of the Constitution. We should thank God for their Constitution, shouldn't we? But Christia Freeland wasn't done. Cut three, go. In terms of the financial instruments. Notice how softly and earnestly they come. Now, we've looked at this. And people who have violated the law, if you want your accounts back, stop protesting. That's all. Comply. Uniformity. Do what you're told. That's all. Get vaccinated. Do exactly what we tell you and do it how we tell you and when you do it. You'll get your money back. That's all. What's the problem? Go ahead. Which our government is using right now to act against these illegal blockades and illegal occupation. Uh, we reviewed very... What illegal very- occupation is there? This, this, what next? They're going to be called insurrectionists? Oh, that's coming. I guarantee it. In fact, they started off with that, but now they think that occupation is better they're illegally occupying no they're not they're protesting we know what an illegal occupation is we saw it in seattle and how much that was tolerated remember that go ahead be carefully the tools at the disposal of the federal government uh and we used all the tools that we had prior to the invocation of the emergencies act and we determined that we needed some additional tools. Now, some of those tools, uh, we will be putting forward uh, measures to put those tools permanently in place. Uh, the authorities of FinTrack, I believe, do need to be expanded to cover crowdsourcing platforms. Uh, and Listen uh, to this. They're expanding the emergency rules, even though the occupation is actually over. We can't have crowdfunding of protests, ladies and gentlemen. Certainly not unless it's Black Lives Matter. And we don't even know where their money went or the leaders went. Go ahead. A payment platform and their payment providers. Uh, so that's, that is something that we need to do and we will do, and that needs to be in place permanently. Uh, some of these other tools, uh, like uh, the sharing of information between law enforcement and financial services and the requirement of financial services to be reviewing their accounts proactively and the immunity from prosecution their accounts proactively that means endlessly monitoring bank accounts go ahead that we have provided to them in doing this. These are extraordinary measures, measures that we absolutely believe are necessary in the current circumstances that are having an impact. And let me also point out having a peaceful impact. 
Uh, and the other aspect we have of the- peaceful people. North Korea's prisons and rice fields, such as they are, are filled with peaceful people, acquiescent people. Acquiescent people. You know, we like to talk about red-blooded Americans who will speak up, debate, argue, protest, assemble. And that's protected under our Bill of Rights. Here, they have no Bill of Rights. So people are peaceful now. You don't hear them beeping horns. You don't hear them gathering, protesting, inconveniencing their fellow citizens. No. Only, only we get to do that. You must remember what you're hearing. Because this is the beginning of the end of Canada. And worse, I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. All right, Steve Bell, Ottawa Police Chief. He's asked, are you going to be sort of actively pursuing the people that you've been sort of documenting and filming who are still out there protesting? What's your plans after this, after the protest is over? Now listen to this. I have to read it because our audio is dead somehow. Here's the Ottawa police chief. It's a great question, and the simple answer is yes. If you are involved, go ahead and play it. Are you going to be sort of actively pursuing the people that you've been sort of documenting and filming who are still out there protesting? What are your plans after this, uh, after the protest is over? Thank you. It's a great question. And the simple answer is yes. If you are involved in this protest, we will actively look to identify you and follow up with financial sanctions and criminal charges. Absolutely. This investigation will go on for months to come. It has many, many different streams, both from a federal uh, financial level, from a provincial licensing level, from a criminal code level, from a municipal... This guy needs a special uniform and a special salute and... This is sick. This man is sick. Go ahead. Or is our audio system dead, Steve? Just say it's dead, Mark. Yeah. Okay. Forget the audio system. Threaten the river. Says from from municipal breach of court order, breach at court injunction level, it will be a complicated, time-consuming event. They intend to go on and on and on with this. They're going to Maybe they'll use some of the people advising the January 6th committee in the Capitol building. You never know. All right, I want to apologize for the last three minutes. I don't know what happened technically. All of a sudden, the audio went out, which is really a first for me over 20 years, but it does happen, I suppose. Uh, I want to apologize about that. When we do come back, we will have a guest, James Garifano of the Heritage Foundation, filled with neocons, no doubt. Uh, But I want his take. He's a very sharp guy on Russia, what Putin is up to, what China's up to, and the whole kitten caboodle. Without audio, we will be right back. James Carfano has been around a while. The Heritage Foundation keeps an eye on all things foreign. James, how are you, sir? Hey, great to be with you. I'm actually in Hungary, in Budapest, so I have about as close as you can get to the war without seeing it. Well, tell everybody where that is in relation to Ukraine, because some people may not understand it. 
So, um, so uh, Hungary and Poland and Ukraine. I mean, these these are countries that are you know not very far apart. And so when in fact they're very close say, to well, the border on the western side. Yeah, and you know, so for example, for example today there aren't any American troops in, in Hungary because Hungary doesn't really need them. It's it's actually not in the line of sight. But there are American troops in Poland. When the Russians walk in. Those Americans will be four miles away from the Russians. Mm-hmm. You know, I keep hearing people say, why do we care? You know, we've got to care about our own border. Can we care about our border and the, and the NATO system that we constructed after World War II to protect us? There's a big reason that we care about this, right? It can spread beyond Ukraine. The slaughter that will occur in that country, they're an ally. Uh, the uh, the fact that Xi is looking, the the regime in Tehran's looking. Uh, I mean, I mean, this has a lot of impact on our country, doesn't it? Well, there are two things here that really kind of impact every community, and actually, our southern border and Ukraine go hand in hand. I mean, it's not just they looked around, they saw all the Obama people, they know they're weak. Putin looks around, he sees Afghanistan, he knows he's weak. You know, he looks at what Biden is doing on our own southern border, leaving it completely undefended. And he says, here's a guy that won't even defend his own borders. Why, why can I not risk aggression here? So, so I think these issues are, are actually tied together. And, and the point about China that you made is a lot of people say, well, then if, if this happens, he'll do something in Taiwan. And he may, but that's not the point is. It's not for us. I mean, I understand there's 44 million Ukrainian lives at risk here, but it's not about the Ukraine for Putin. It doesn't end with the Ukraine. He wants to reabsorb all the post-Soviet states. He wants dictatorial control over Central Europe. He wants NATO to collapse. He wants America to leave and be isolated. Who else wants that? That's exactly what Xi wants. Nobody wants a divided and weakened Europe more than China. Nobody wants America alone and isolated in the world more than China. So the reality is that Vladimir Putin today is, is doing China's dirty work for it. And, and we ought to care about that because the target is on our back. The target is us. It's not Ukraine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I agree with that 100%. But I also think uh, that the aggressiveness that's occurring now is also because of the fecklessness in the Oval Office, not just the southern border. They don't think Biden's really going to do a hell of a lot. And I worry. I worry, James. What if they do cut through Ukraine and they say, well, there's the Balkans over there. Let's dip our toe in there. I, what is Biden going to do? I don't think he's going to do much. He's now bending over backwards for the Iranians. It's unbelievable to even watch this. So they're actually already store, uh, stirring up issues in the Balkans. And and the problem... The, All right, let's just, slow down you know, there a second. Old. Tell everybody no. they're stirring up in the Balkans. Tell us what you mean by that. That's a big statement. Yeah, so so Putin has these little packets all over Europe, like little landmines. So he's occupied part of Moldova, he's occupied part of Georgia, he's occupied part of Ukraine, and he has his fingers in the, the conflict in the Balkans between Serbia and Kosovo and in Bosnia-Herzegovina, where the Russians have dramatic influence. He can push any one of those buttons anytime he wants, and they were all strategically built for the same reason, to give Putin the ability to push into and destabilize Europe whenever he saw fit. This is not a secret. Matter of fact, Donald Trump knew this. There's a reason why he sent Rich Grinnell into the Balkans. There's a reason why he gave javelins to, um, to the Ukrainians. There's a reason why he engaged with the Georgians. He, he was 
and there's a, and there's a reason why nothing happened in the four years on Donald Trump's watch. Trump made it very clear he would not stand for this, and Putin never even tried. Which, conversely, you seem to be saying is that Biden did the opposite. He didn't make it clear, or he appeased. Which is it? Well, so the, well, so there's two problems here. Um, one is not just Biden himself, who, who's got this long track record of never making a good foreign policy decision, you know, maybe not being at the top of his game, but he's surrounded himself with Obama people. And mm-hmm. the White House is running foreign policy today exactly the way it did for eight years under Obama. It's literally like Putin went into the Super Bowl and the, the other side gave them the playbook before their game and, and let them listen in on the sidelines where they're talking about what play they're going to call. So he knows exactly what uh, Biden is going to do, and he's been very predictable. He didn't want to get involved at all. They came into office, much like uh, Obama. He just wanted to park Europe. He didn't want to forget about it. Matter of fact, uh, Biden officials were going around telling people in the United States and Europe that if anything happened in Ukraine, that was Europe's problem. We didn't care. And honestly, the only reason why he is doing anything at all is because he got hammered in Afghanistan and he couldn't look weak again. But his approach is classic Obama, which is try to ignore the problem, hope it goes away. And then if it doesn't, very incrementally do things to try to make it stop. It's incredibly risk averse. It's incredibly weak. But what it does, and look, I was in the military for 25 years. When you were fighting an enemy, the one thing you always wanted to do is make him react to you, not the other way around. Not wait for the enemy to do something and decide how to respond to that. And if you go back and do the timeline of this, every step of the way in this crisis, Biden has waited for Putin to do something, and then he's tried to do the minimum in response to that to get Biden to stop. That's, that's exactly why we are where we are. And say uh, he decides to move into one of these other countries or destabilize, as you talked about, in the Balkans. Are we even positioned to do anything in a significant way? I mean, he's going to have, he's going to have 200,000 troops in the neighborhood, you know? Well, this gets, I think, to the point is regardless of what happens in Ukraine, this isn't the end of it. He will go on and do something else. And so the, the question is, how do you stop Putin? And, and the answer is actually pretty easy. There's, there's only two things that Putin has. He's got a big military, and he sells people out of energy. So if NATO had strong conventional and strategic deterrence, that, that checkmates the military. And if America was energy independent, and Europe had sensible energy policies that were focused on giving them abundant, reliable, affordable energy, Putin would be a joke because he would be completely checkmated. And, and yeah, I, I would argue that we don't have enough defense capability and that Biden coming in and actually putting in a defense budget that didn't even cover inflation, even, that even the Democrats in, in the Congress were embarrassed to endorse. Um, that was a statement of weakness. But, but even under Donald Trump, who only had four years to really rebuild our military, because he demonstrated both the perseverance and the will and the, and, and the, uh, and the willingness to use force, Putin never even tried. You know, it's a very famous story, which I'm, I'm almost, I'm pretty sure is absolutely true. You know, in Syria, some Russian militaries went after a U.S. base. And Biden just, I mean, uh, Trump, just basically said, well, take them out. And the Americans just went and they just wiped these guys off the face of the earth. And Putin looked at that and he said, okay, we're not going to do that again. Mm-hmm. Putin knew that Trump was serious. Um, he, 
He knows that Biden is not, that he is risk averse. He will never move faster than the allies. And the allies are very reluctant to move at all. You know, in the end, we might actually have more NATO solidarity than, than we started. But nobody should be proud of that. Nobody should be proud of the price of getting people to work up, to wake up to the threat of Russia and China in the world is sacrificing 44 million Ukrainians after we've already sacrificed the hundred Uyghurs in China and the whole entire population of Hong Kong and Taiwan. Look, nobody's saying we have to fight World War III with these people. We have to learn a lesson from Donald Trump, which is when we stand up and say, we will protect ourselves, the other guys will respect that. But if we don't do that, they're going to do exactly what happened in Afghanistan, exactly what happened in Hong Kong, exactly what's happening today in the Ukraine, and then they'll move on to the next one. You know, somebody once went to a, the, one of these Russian guys, the, you know, the genius ideological guys, and they said, what do you want? This is a true story. And the guy said, we want... Russia's space. We are entitled mm-hmm. to Russia's space. And, and the guy said, well, well, where does that end? And the guy said, when you stop us. Mm-hmm. Now, you know what's interesting? You use that phrase, and I heard one of these colonels use that phrase, you know, one of the, odd, odd duck this colonel. Basically use that space. We don't respect Russia's space. That's what the guy said. And I thought to myself, they're about to invade Ukraine. What do you mean Russia's space? And by the way, Putin kind of underscored your points earlier today in his rather odd speech from his desk in which he was saying that, that he, he regrets the fall of the Soviet Union. And I thought he was basically saying, we have a right to everything that used to be ours. I thought that's what I heard him say in so many words. And more. Yeah. Because most of Central Europe never belonged to the Russian Empire, the the, the Soviets just took it after World War II. But, you know, I, I'll tell you something. I, you know, I love all my conservative friends, and the thing I love about us is we, we argue and we debate, and we all care about this country, and we all care about our vital interests, and we debate about how the best way to do that. But many of my friends are saying, you know what, we love Central Europe, right? We love, we love the Poles. They care about families. They care about um, religion. We love Hungarians. We love the Hungarians. The Hungarians are our favorite European country. They're, they're so American. They, they, they don't like this gender nonsense, and they want to educate their families, and they want people to go to work. I mean, they, they, you know, they could, be, they, could, they could work for Ronald Reagan. And, and, then we, and then our friends say around and say, but we don't care about Ukraine. Well, you know what? Poland cares about Ukraine. Hungary cares about Ukraine. Uh, absolutely. They don't want to see Ukraine invaded, and they know that they're next on the agenda. So if we really do care about the conservatives in Eastern Europe, and in Central Europe, who really are our brothers, we ought to be worried because their future is on the line here. And I got to tell you, there's nobody here. And, and, and you, know, you know, Hungarians, look, they, they've been living with the Russians forever. They, they don't like the Russians, but they live with them, work with them because they're neighbors. No, I haven't met one Hungarian yet who sees what's going on against Ukraine as justified and, and doesn't see it as the next step into imperiling their future that they work so hard for for decades, to build an economy, to build employment, to build families. They don't want to see that go into ash, and they know what the Russians do. The, the Russians have visited them before, and it never ends well. Very, very well said. All right. Well, thank you very much, James, and you take care of yourself. That was very useful to us. Take care, buddy. Thank you, my friend. Thanks for having All me. All right. He is good. Is he not, Mr. Producer? Superb. We're glad to have him. James Carafano, Heritage Foundation, filled with neocons. Actually, it's not. I'll be right back. Mark Levin. 
great. It was good to have uh, a Jim uh, on with us. And uh, really a very, very important perspective, I think. And he always does. We salute our armed forces, police officers, firefighters, and emergency personnel. And we salute all our truckers and you, you great Americans, and our fellow patriot Canadians. See you tomorrow. God bless.